Alaska was 49th in being admitted to the United States. It's the largest state in total square miles. How big is that? It's twice as big as Texas, twice as big as Sweden, and one-fifth the size of the entire lower 48 states. You know what that means, don't you? A lot of room for a lot of crime. We talk about that today. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is a special episode of Unfound. I'm so happy to have on this special episode of Unfound, the host of Murder Under the Midnight Sun, Ariel Jane. Ariel, welcome to Unfound. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, What makes you tick? What got you into true crime? All of that good stuff. Well, I've always been into reading and writing, history, um... When I was younger, I was really into like horror movies and kind of like the supernatural and the dark side of life. And I guess as I got older, it kind of just sort of segued into an interest in true crime. And after I took a criminology class in high school, I was pretty much sold. And since then, I've been binge reading true crime and, you know, decided a podcast needed to come out of that. You had a criminology class in high school. That's interesting. I've never heard of that. It was by far the best class I ever took in high school. Um, It was one of the most beloved teachers and it was her last year at that school. She was retiring and it was just such a great class. You know, we had a serial killer unit and I think we all kind of realized that we're not weirdos because everybody was super excited about it. And uh, I just learned so much and it kind of tied into my already burgeoning interest in psychology so it just all kind of worked out together it just sounds to me like criminology would be such a specialized class that would of course that would sound more to me like a college class and not even an entry freshman class more like a a junior level class so that being in high school that's kind of unique i think i think so yeah i mean i've never met anyone else that has taken justice studies or criminology or anything in high school but uh, yeah, I mean, she was a special kind of teacher, and uh, she had, did her own thing, basically. And so, outside of your education, uh, did you watch any TV shows, read any books, anything like that? What's your earliest memory regarding any of that concerning true crime? Not so much concerning true crime as a kid, but, I mean, all of my favorite movies as a kid were, like, way too old for me. I watched a lot of horror movies, you know, I was obsessed with like Evil Dead and, um, you know, I'd always go to the video store and just gravitate toward the horror section. And I think that just kind of, it led me into wanting to learn more about the actual real monsters out there, I guess. Real monsters in the real world. Yeah, exactly. And... Did you watch Unsolved Mysteries? Did that catch your attention back then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who didn't? I mean, just the, like, starting was, like, so exciting. Even though 
you know, watching it back now, it's kind of cheesy, the, in, the react, uh, the reactions that they do, but, um, yeah, I definitely have a soft spot in my heart for it, and I think that they're actually rebooting it, so that's pretty cool. So, you don't, I don't know what your age is, but you sound very young. Uh, were you old enough to know the Robert Stack days, or did you get into it later, like when Dennis Farina took over? What, what, what do you remember? Uh, I did watch it uh, when Robert Stack was on. I was pretty young at the time, probably between six and eight. And I actually never really watched it when Dennis Farina did it because I just don't think I knew it existed. And I was at college at the time, so I wasn't really watching TV. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, the podcasting part of it. When did you decide, well, I think I can do a show on this? What, what was the turning point for you on that? You know, I have always loved writing and researching. You know, that's why I majored in English and history because I just, I just love facts and, you know, that kind of thing. And I tried getting interested in podcasting probably around 2013. But at the time, most of the pretty popular podcasts just weren't weren't really my thing, you know, or they were stuff like This American Life and a bunch of different comedians that had podcasts where they're just kind of chatting. And <clears throat> like many people, as soon as Serial came along, I was completely hooked. I just loved the narrative aspect and the way that we're kind of... Um, almost investigating the crime as the series is going along. And I just really love that aspect of true crime. And those are also the kind of true crime books I tend to gravitate towards. So after listening to that, I binged Sword and Scale and Thinking Sideways. And then when I saw all these other, you know, indie true crime podcasts start to pop up, I realized that I could probably do this because I've probably read more true crime books than anyone I know, and I just, you know, I, I don't remember math or anything like that, but I have a weird memory for facts about crimes, <laughs> so I realized that it's probably something that I would not only love doing, but would be a good creative outlet for me. I see, and I think the listeners will find this interesting uh how do you record what do you record on what uh program do you use well i currently record on my cell phone which i have gotten a lot of flack for my um uh you know not exactly the best sound quality but i think the flack i'm getting is coming from people who don't understand that most people don't have a couple hundred dollars to immediately invest in a microphone when they start an indie podcast. But luckily, recently, um, some kind people have um, promised that they're going to donate to me some um, recording equipment. So hopefully it'll get a little better. And what do you edit it in? I edit in GarageBand. Uh, I'm just a Mac person through and through since I was a kid. Uh, Audacity just looked like Greek to me and GarageBand it's just it's pretty intuitive and I don't know I actually I find it kind of fun to edit in there um, and just kind of learning all the different tricks as I've gone along it's been uh, 
been pretty fun just teaching myself how to do something like that. You don't have to sell uh, GarageBand to me. That's exactly what I use for my program as well. I've used GarageBand, wow, 10 years probably, something like that. And I've been, so I've been like through three or four different versions of it, and they've all been excellent. It is a, uh, it's just a fantastic program. And I'm actually, well, obviously it's only for Mac, but um, I actually had a PC laptop. And I actually uh, asked, asked my parents for a kind of cheaper, older, used Mac for my birthday, specifically so I could get GarageBand, because I was not going to be able to use Audacity. Let's get to your particular show. How did you come up sure. with the name Murder Under the Midnight Sun? Where'd you get that? Well, you know, I've been thinking about doing this for probably a good year um and i uh i don't know i i have like 1000 creative ideas and i have the hardest time actually starting them so you know i used to be at work and i would think about it and i had a variety of different names and i wanted something a little more original and a more you know a bit niche since obviously it's taking place in alaska only and um so I was just trying to come up with something that gave it that gave it that Alaska flavor. So I initially thought of like true crimes of the last frontier and then I liked murder under the midnight sun and it just it kind of had a nice ring to it. So I decided to stick with it and I'm glad that I did because I know that it uh the name itself kind of you know, it stands out from the rest of the true crime shows that all kind of have similar names. And just to be clear, you do live in Alaska. Uh, you were born there, but you've, I do. you've told me that you've got you've lived in a couple different areas in the United States, but you live in Alaska now, and that's why you wanted to do Alaska stories, crime stories. Yep. I, uh, I've lived here for 30-something years, and I've also tried living in Texas and Montana and North Carolina and I just kind of always end up back in Alaska, you know? It kind of like sucks you back in with his icy embrace. It's hard to get out for good. <laughs> and I've never been there, and I'm not a fan of uh, cold weather or anything, so I don't know uh, if I'll ever make it there, but it sounds like a fascinating state. Um, I asked yep. <laughs> uh, a few weeks ago, maybe, uh, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I had Roseanne Sinclair from California Dreaming on the program uh -huh. I talked to her about her show and hers is California specific California of course yes. one of our largest states of course Alaska as far as land is the largest state but California has the largest population so probably lends itself to you know a lot of crime but what would you right. say about Alaskan crime just in general is there something that is unique that makes Alaskan crime different from anywhere else what are your impressions living there and then doing your show you know it's kind of weird because as growing up you know there were certain uh i guess historical crimes i'd heard about up here such as baker bob um but there really weren't that many i guess well obviously as a child so my parents didn't talk to me about them but uh, as I've been doing research, I found that there are just so many crazy um, serial killers and 
mass murders and stuff that have happened up here that uh, don't seem to have really made it into the media outside of Alaska. So it's kind of odd. And in a lot of the cases that I've researched, I found um, a pretty big correlation in the fact that many of these serial killers and mass murders were people with criminal records elsewhere that were coming up to Alaska to kind of uh, escape their past. That's interesting. That is yeah. interesting. It's a good so place you, to hide. <laughs> so they think that if they did something down in the lower 48, they can go up there, kind of just disappear. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they're uh, in the 19, like 1982 to 1984, there was like four mass murders. And um, they pretty much all took place in really small towns. And they were pretty much all per perpetuated by, um, you know, crazy guys that had come from somewhere else. And I guess for some reason decided to come up here and murder large portions of a small town for their own varied reasons. Is your impression as an Alaskan citizen that crimes in Alaska would be better known if Alaska was actually attached to the other 48 states? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I actually read an article recently that we are now the most dangerous state per capita. Um, uh, our homicide rate in the last couple of years has just, it's spiked dramatically. And we're also per capita have the highest uh, percentage of serial killers. And I think a lot of people are really surprised by that information. Um, and I think if we were you know, connected to the rest of the United States, it would probably have a bit different of a reputation than it kind of does right now. Why do you think that, that it's that way? Is it because of the, like you say, some most likely men going from the lower 48, from Florida, California, wherever, going up there and causing this rate to go up, or is it something else? Well... Just you know, an impression. I know, the, we, you know uh, we are an FBI, we are an FBI <laughs> criminologist. I'm just asking your impression, you know, your opinion. Yeah, I, I, in the 80s or the 70s and 80s, you know, there was definitely, a, there was a lot of extra crime because there was a lot of transients due to people working on the pipeline. And a lot of uh, sex workers had come up here to, um, you know, make money off of the mass exodus of men that were coming up here so i think there was a lot of crime because of that um you know it was people that weren't from here so i think when they were not working on the pipeline they would be like doing drugs and there was it was like a really seedy time in anchorage and if you ever want to see what it was really like you can watch that movie frozen ground about robert hansen and it's exactly what it was like back then but in recent years, we have a pretty bad opioid epidemic going on and kind of have a lot of gang activity that's, I don't, I don't know why it's happened in the last couple of years, but we went from about a decade of relative, um, you know, low levels of crime to the last couple of years, it's gotten out of control. Yeah, it's uh, it, the opioid addiction crisis, it hits Alaska. 
hits down mm-hmm. here in, in the rest of the United States as well. There's no doubt that that plays a factor uh, in disappearances and murders. And I know that my show Unfound that a lot of these disappearances I covered do have something to do with drugs, generally crystal meth, any of those kind of uh, opioids or speed, anything like that. Yeah. In particular, because, you know, to to take this a little further, I know being a guy who's only ever lived in the lower 48, when I think of Alaska and I think of a story where somebody died, I automatically think of Into the Wild with, with the uh, the death of Chris McCandless, um, the John Crack, yeah, exactly. the Krakauer book. Um, yeah. It, and I think that probably if anybody knows anything about deaths or, or stories – of the wild and somebody died, that's usually what they think of. Um, you're obviously familiar with that story. Oh, very. Yeah, I've actually been to the um, the place where that bus is. Um, it's a very lovely location. And, you know, a lot of Alaskans kind of, I guess they are a little judgmental towards him for going into the wild with not as much information as he could have had to like you know keep himself alive but um you know if you read the book and you learn more about him he was kind of running away from some bad life stuff so he wasn't just trying to be like this frontiersman it was a little bit more than that yeah yeah i guess i don't know all the details i just know that he was kind of running away from like a i guess a bad family situation or something and just kind of wanted to go off and like be on his own you know, in looking up um, some information about Alaskan crime, and of course listening to some of your episodes, I will be honest that I've not listened to all of your episodes, but I've listened to, I'd say, about a third of them. Um, mm-hmm. And being that Unfound is regarding missing people, Anchorage has had quite a few missing people over the last decades and only a few of them have been found any insight into that before we get into some of the specific cases that you've covered yeah it's it's so weird um when i initially started deciding to cover some missing persons cases and i went and looked at the uh you know active missing persons bulletins there were just uh, an astounding amount and quite a few of them were marked as um they marked them as like, you know, foul play, probably. And as I discussed in a recent episode, there was an extreme trend of, I think about 12 women that had gone missing and they all were kind of within the same demographic of each other. And at least one of them was tied into a uh, pretty big cocaine ring <laughs> in town. And, um, out of all of them that went missing, only two were ever found, and they were found, like, completely dismembered. So it seems like there was some sort of uh, some sort of possible serial killer or drug-related murders going on. Um, it was very strange. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, we do have, like, the highest percentage of missing people, but the vast... Uh, majority of those are people that go missing just out in the woods, not um, having the right, you know, adequate, you know, compass or anything to find their way out. 
Um, People getting so into the wilderness we, a little bit over their heads. Exactly. So it is kind of rare that we have uh, someone go missing and it seems like it's actually foul play, but there have been several in the last 10 years or so. And what is your impression, just in general? Do you think it was all uh, one person, a lot of these disappearances, or do you think that there might have been three or four different people at work over all those years? I think that there was possibly a serial killer in the 90s that was never caught. Um, and I think a lot of it was a huge portion of these women were tied into uh, local drugs. And so I think probably a lot of it had to do with that as well. So hard to say if it was one specific person or if they just happen to all be tied into something bad. Okay. Let's get into some of the episodes you've done. And I, I want to start with one that, uh, and I need to be, I need to let the, the listeners know that Ariel first approached me a few months ago about the disappearances, uh, the disappearance of Aaron Gilbert. It was Ariel that put me in contact with Aaron's sister, Stephanie, Stephanie Juarez. And that's how Stephanie ended up on that episode of Unfound. And Ariel, I'd like to once again thank you uh, for making that happen. Yes, no, I'm so happy you covered that. It was just, it was one of those cases I just stumbled across um, just a few months ago. And it kind of just jumped out at me as, you know, this is obviously foul play. This is not the kind of person that would just disappear. And so I knew that it needed to have more, you know, more eyes or ears on it. And so I'm so happy that you covered it because I've seen it pop up in the local media a couple times recently. So that's been very exciting. And I hope that it leads to some sort of resolution because 22 years is way too long to wonder what happened to your loved one. Right, and you did tell me that you've noticed in, in Alaska that there has been a bit more attention given to her disappearance in now in the last couple months. And, and we should know, and we, listeners should know, Erin Gilbert, you covered her on your program as well. One of your yes, first episodes. Yeah, she was actually, yeah, she was in my first episode. Um, I, co I covered her and another woman named Marianne Alexi who disappeared just in like downtown Anchorage. And kind of same situation there was absolutely no clues and nothing of her was ever found so i felt like these two cases kind of needed to be brought back into the public light because i mean it, it it just seems very weird that something like that could happen and um you know their stories kind of like just disappear in time What's your impression on the Aaron Gilbert case? We're not going to go over all the facts and everything, but you know what the case is. Uh, what do you think happened? Oh, uh, well, based on the episode that you did, I feel pretty certain. I know that somebody out there knows what happens, and hopefully they feel guilty about it, and one can hope that someday they'll actually come forward and answer some questions about it. Okay, and you think that could? St I think it can still happen. What do you think? I definitely think it could still happen. My initial uh, plan when I covered that case was to, I mean, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to solve this case, but it was more like, I want the person that is responsible for this to realize that it hasn't been forgotten 
and I want them to feel guilty and I want them to have a hard time sleeping at night. So hopefully, hopefully that's happened. And, you know, just the fact that the local media got interested is just like icing on the cake. And you've been to Girdwood. You've been to that fair, right? Yes, I have. That's part of why it really uh, jumped out at me is because um, I remember when I used to go there, you know, as a teenager and my parents had mentioned that you know, somebody had disappeared there. And uh, I went there probably, <clears throat> probably five, probably five years after she disappeared there when I was a teenager. And there, at the time, I remember thinking that she had probably gone, disapp- had disappeared while out camping off in the woods because hundreds of people camp there overnight. And it's kind of like a wild party because it's a major hippie town. But when I learned more about it, realized she had disappeared just in the middle of the day. It was shocking because <clears throat> it's like someone disappearing at like a state fair, but in a really, really small pl- in a really small area. You know, there's people everywhere. Uh, it would be really hard <laughs> for someone to kidnap somebody without someone having seen something in that kind of place. And especially at that time of year, it's bright as day out until basically midnight. So that just really jumped out at me as extremely suspicious. Uh, Would you say what you know about Alaskan disappearances, would you say that Aaron Gilbert's disappearance sticks out compared to all the other ones that you know about? Obviously, like you said, in a lot of these other disappearances, drugs have been involved. Would you say Aaron's is somewhat unique? It's extremely unique, yeah. Um, As I was looking through all the different missing people. A lot of them, um, I guess, as a cop might say, had at-risk lifestyles. Um, Or they, you know, kind of disappeared or while camping, you know, something like that, where it's kind of like there's a probable solution. But this one is just so unique because she disappeared in the middle of the day and she didn't live an at-risk lifestyle. She, you know, she just wasn't the kind of person you would expect to just disappear. And the fact that absolutely no trace of her was ever found is really disturbing to me. Yep. Um, there, there was a lot of woods in the area, and I know they did a massive search, but, <clears throat> I mean, she's got to be out there somewhere. So I really hope that there's a solution someday. Uh, me as well. Let's move on to this episode, which I was, uh, it caught my ear and I listened to it, was the murder of Sophie Sergi. She was murdered in her dorm in college in 1993. It doesn't even seem possible that something like that would still be unsolved all these years later. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Oh, man, that case just, it killed me. Um, I had barely ever heard of it. Um, she was a, uh, a native Alaskan from a very small town and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, she had, she'd been going to UAF, uh, in Fairbanks for a couple years. She was like a superstar student. She was on a full ride academic scholarship. She was just like super friendly, nice to everybody. Everybody loved her. Um, she was only 20 years old 
and she was actually taking that semester off to work so that she could uh, pay for some dental work she was getting done. And she had flown into Fairbanks to get some dental work done and was staying at a friend's dorm and she was last seen outside smoking a cigarette with some people and the next time she's seen is she was found shot to death in the dorm bathroom and it was in the middle of the day I mean people had gone in and out of the bathroom all day but she was in kind of a closed off little bathing area and she had been sexually assaulted and shot and you know it's a pretty small dorm building so it's just impossible to imagine that somebody didn't see or hear something happening um you know especially with the gun involved yeah especially in a bathroom or a shower area where you have the tile and that just does nothing but it amplifies the sound exactly yeah and you know it was on a it's an all-female floor so I must I would assume that was a guy that murdered her so it seems like someone would remember having seen some random guy in the area um, but unfortunately it happened the week of finals and the police in that instance didn't exactly do the best job in kind of uh, closing down the crime scene so they could interview everyone they needed to. They just kind of let everybody come and go as they pleased. And, you know, they still haven't interviewed everyone that had been seen talking to her. And there's a lot of people that left Fairbanks right after that and never came back and were never interviewed. And it it's it's, you know, sad to say, but if she had been a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white girl, rich girl, she would have been all over the news. I don't think anyone heard about it outside of Alaska. This was, you know, just not that long ago. And, you know, I had never even heard of it until I started researching for this podcast. And so what you're saying is she was at this school, but she didn't go to that school. No, she... Uh, she did attend that school, but she had happened to take that semester off. Okay. Um, it was a spring semester, and she happened to just be visiting that weekend because uh, she had come into town to get dental work because she lived in a really small village without a dentist. Okay. Any theories on that? Do you think it could have been some ex-boyfriend who knew she was in town back back there, or do you think it could be a a case of mistaken identity and maybe just get do you know what floor she was on was it like the first floor was she like on the fifth floor I mean how how far would have somebody had to have gone into that building if they wanted to shoot her do you know I don't remember the floor but it wasn't the first I think it may have been second or third um, I honestly have no I don't have any specific person in mind and neither did the police um, and if you look at a picture of her, she just looks like the sweetest, most innocent girl. I mean, she looks very young for 20, and um, I just can't imagine why somebody would pick her to, like, murder her. And, um, you know, there was a cold case unit uh, as part of the APD, and there was one detective that was, like, dead set on solving her case and worked on it for like seven to ten years 
but they finally ended up having to close down that unit because um, lack of funding. So I don't know if it'll ever get solved, but I personally think that if myself, if I ever get the time or somebody else were to go look into like sex offenders in the area at the time, uh, that would be some good leads. Also at the time, there was no security to get into the dorm building. So it didn't even necessarily have to be a college student. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope the listeners will check that episode out as well. And maybe they can figure out what happened to Sophie Sergi. Yeah. Uh, one, one other case that caught my eye, uh, one other story episode it's not technically a case but an episode of your program murder under the midnight sun that caught my eye is you did a special episode on the alaska earthquake maybe you can talk a little oh, bit about yeah, that yeah. And i want i wonder if um you know it was a while ago that that happened but does is that something that is still fresh in alaskans minds because that did a lot of damage it definitely is um it was i think it was the biggest earthquake in North American history and like the second in like world history. It was like a, I forgot, 9.5 or something. Um, And so, you know, older people that live here, uh, as my mom was saying in that episode, that's one of those things from their lives where they're like, I remember exactly where I was when that happened. Um, And both my parents had some some involvement in it. My dad was in Oregon, but he still had like some, you know, tsunami in his little town. And my mom was in Alaska at the time, but luckily uh, they didn't experience any bad property damage. But downtown Anchorage suffered a ton of damage. Um, You know, tons of houses were kind of just like swept off into the mud, (laughs) mud slash sea. Um, and, uh, I, I, I can't remember the number, but I think around a hundred people died overall. And it was, uh, felt as far away as Florida. That's crazy. Yeah. And the listeners should know that know. I'm in Florida and Ariel is in Alaska. We're like on two opposite corners of the United States yeah. doing this. So it's hard to imagine that something like that could be felt the, felt the whole way down here, but nine points something, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, it caused, you know, it caused uh, tsunamis in, you know, BC, uh, Washington, Oregon, and even parts of California had some like damage to boats that were in harbors from the, uh, just the, you know, weird wave movement. Do you uh, feel any earthquakes? I know Alaska is right on that, what they call that ring of fire that, you know, completely surrounds the Pacific Ocean. It comes down. Of course, Japan gets earthquakes as well in California, all around the Pacific Ocean. Do you feel an earthquake once in a while where you live? I feel them all the time. I mean, there's a dedicated website to, um, there's a dedicated website that shows every earthquake that happens here. And I mean, there's like 10 a day, but the thing is a lot of them happen, uh, you know, pretty far away from humans. So you don't really feel them or they're really, really small. I would say it's probably once a year that I'll actually notice one that kind of, you know, gets my attention. 
but um, there's probably only been like one or two in my life that have really like scared me. Okay. And would you say that uh, the building codes have been changed since the 1960s? If that, ca- if that earthquake were to hit Alaska again, of course, there's quite a few more people there now. Do you think the damage would be as bad or do you think Alaska's prepared? Oh, we're definitely prepared. Um, I mean, I think we have been pretty much since we became a state because we knew for that we there was a tendency to have earthquakes up here. Um, like for example, we don't have a lot of like brick buildings because they're just not very sturdy for earthquakes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, buildings do have specific earthquake related uh, building guidelines. Okay, well, let's just hope that it never happens again. Yes. (laughs) So why don't you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about a couple uh, episodes that you did that they should check out, and then I want to talk to you uh, something you said in one of your episodes about the psychological side of crime. I want to talk to you about that then after that. But right now, a couple episodes that stick out in your mind that you've done. Jeez, okay. Well, huh... One that I really did that I got like a ton of interest in because there was a really crazy story was the Rochelle Waterman case. I don't know if you've heard that one I yet. I did not. Tell, tell me and the listeners about it. Okay. Well, it was a two-parter and it basically concerns this girl that was about 15 at the time and she had two boyfriends one I think they were both in their early to mid 20s and they were living in a really small town called Craig Alaska and one of her boyfriends ended up murdering her mom and so there was a lot of evidence to the fact that possibly she had convinced her boyfriend to murder her mom Um, and there was all these trials involved and I think she ended up serving Not a very long time in prison, maybe like nine months to two years at the most. Uh, But it was a huge deal when it happened because this was like the era of live journal. So she had all these live journal posts out there for people to read talking about, you know, how much she hated her mom. And it was kind of creepy because one of the last ones that she had posted before she, uh, you know, her computer was taken away, was like, oh, I just wanted everyone to know that my mom got murdered. And that was it. It was just like, it was a huge story when it happened. I think it was around 2005 or six. And, um, you know, I know it was actually even like in the national media too. Uh, So that was an interesting story to cover because I hadn't known all the details about it. Um, But it was pretty brutal. And It was, I'll be interested to see what she does in the future with her life. Okay, and where is Craig, Alaska in relation to, for example, Anchorage or Juneau? Uh, It is, let's see, I would say, oh man, don't test my geography skills. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just wondering if it's some like little out of the way place or, or is it something more closer to the urban areas? It is, I believe, southwest of Anchorage, and it's actually on a big island that has a couple of other little communities on it as well. Um, so yeah, it's pretty pretty out of the way and uh, not very populated. 
Okay. So I hope the listeners will check that one out. What about another one? Okay. Well, actually, the other one is actually one of the ones I did that is not from Alaska. Uh, but it was such a bizarre case that I just had to cover it. Um, it's the murder of a millionaire slash billionaire named Stephen Beard. And it took place in Austin, Texas around the year 2000. And it's this, it's just one of those incredibly salacious cases because it involves like a love triangle and like, um, you know, kind of like a murder for hire, or a murder of persuasion. And uh, it was basically like the gold digger from hell. And it was, I read a book about it years ago and I knew I had to cover it because it was so, it was just such a bizarre story. Um, and that has by far gotten more downloads than any other episode, like probably triple the next closest one. So I would definitely recommend checking that one out. It's also my longest episode. It's like an hour and a half. Um, <clears throat> so that's probably a good place And what's to the start. title of it again? What's the title of it again? Um, I believe it's just called Celeste Beard. Okay. Yeah, that's just the name of the lady. Okay, great. All right, so uh, those are a couple episodes that Ariel would recommend to any first-time listeners to her program. Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. In one of the episodes, I'm not sure uh, which one it was, but I remember you saying something about how you are very much into the psychological side of crime, of murder. And that's interesting to me because I'm like not like that. I'm like on the opposite side i really don't care what makes any of these people tick just a different you know just (laughs) different mentality it's no big deal you know it's no big deal but why do you think uh you are uh you feel that way why why is that your, your approach you think to true crime i don't know you know and i don't do it with every episode because sometimes there's just not much there to look into but i've always had a huge fascination with psychology I took all these psychology classes in college just for fun and abnormal psychology was really eye-opening. Um, you know, just taught it, we learned about all the different like personality disorders. And of course we had the, um, you know, psych student syndrome where we'd start diagnosing people around us. And I find it really interesting that a lot of these people, um, that commit similar crimes have very, very similar personality attributes and a lot of people that have these psychological disorders their crimes are very similar and you can almost guess exactly what kind of person someone's going to be by the crime that they do and you find and if that you, makes any sense yeah sure <laughs> and and you find that interesting that there's something about that 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 you want to make you want to figure out what makes these people tick. Yeah. And, you know, I also, especially in crimes where it seems like someone just kind of snaps, like they're normal, and then all of a sudden they just go on a murder rampage. I always, I'm trying to figure out what brought them to that point, or if there was like some indication in their past that they would end up like that, or what, you know, and of course there's the whole serial killer nature versus nurture Sure, it's um, a great discussion. And I've read so many books about that. And 
I've completely changed my mind on that. I've, it's, you know, mostly nurture, but I think that also serial killers with the crappy childhood were also born with the tendency to become a sociopath. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's just something interesting to think about. And especially in situations where somebody seems like they had a completely perfect childhood, but they still turn out to be just an evil person. Like the Menendez brothers. Yeah, exactly. Like the Menendez brothers. Or, you know, there's a lot out there. People that end up just murdering their parents out of the blue. Or, you know, just one day just killing their wife out of the blue. Um, and prior to that have been a completely law-abiding citizen. It's just, I don't know, I just like learning about that kind of stuff. Um I almost went back to school for psychology, but changed my mind for the time being, but maybe in the future. Okay. Um, where is the future going for uh, Murder Under the Midnight Sun? Any, uh, how do you go about picking your cases? And, um, you know, where do you, what do you think you're going to be covering in the future, do you think? Well, I pick my cases. Uh, people get... Uh, people recommend them to me. I get a lot of emails from people. Um, my doctor actually, one day I went to see her and she handed me this like printed article about a crime from a long time ago. I know I was like, wow, you're the coolest. Uh, but, and then I just do a lot of, um, kind of Googling, look at old newspapers, that kind of thing. And over the years I've read just an insane amount of true crime books so that's kind of why I did the caveat that I'm occasionally covering out-of-state crimes because there are just some out there that are so weird that I just have to cover them. So, you know, I'm going to continue doing a lot of Alaska true crimes, but with the occasional out-of-state one mixed in there. And from now until the end of October, I'm covering all serial killers and I'm actually having other uh, true crime podcast hosts send me contributions about, um, you know, that. their thoughts on a specific serial killer, their favorite serial killer, or, you know, the first one they're fascinated with. So if you want to get involved, uh, you are hmm. very welcome. Oh, well, um, I to, I now, now that I got the invitation, I'm going to have to think about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just thought it'd be fun to get people involved because, you know, I'm a horror nerd. I love Halloween. October's my favorite month. So I decided just to do a bunch of fun stuff for the month. Uh, so I've got several kind of serial killers slash spree killers lined up um, till the end of the month. And after that, I guess we'll just see where it takes me. Uh, since October and Halloween's your, your, uh, your favorite month, favorite uh, holiday, do you already have your Halloween costume picked out? Oh, I don't dress up. I'm too old for that oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you don't dress up. You don't love it that much. Well, I, you know, I'm in my 30s now, so I don't go to oh, wow. Halloween see. parties anymore. Okay, well, really. your voice is very young. Your voice is very young. I'm surprised to hear that. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, honestly, like the last couple of years, I've spent Halloween watching, you know, some of my favorite horror movies and passing out candy. That's kind of how I like to do it these days. What are your top three horror movies? 
top three? Oh my god. Okay. Well, off the top of my head, I would have to say The Thing. Perfect movie. Um, uh, with Kurt Russell. Jeez. Yeah. Love it, right? Right? Uh, Love it. Love yes. that one. I agree. Yes. Amazing movie. Um, Evil Dead. Such a classic. I watch it probably every year. Uh, and I don't know if you would count Jaws as a horror movie, but that's mm. like my favorite movie, so I just have to put it in there. Wow, that's creepy. Jaws is one of my favorite movies too, but I would never consider it to be a horror movie. Okay. Okay. I know, I know. It's it's it, it's hard to it's hard to classify because it kind of transcends the genre, but it's just like a perfect movie. And I actually named my dog after the main character because that's how much I love it. Um, but yeah, I mean. I don't know. There's so many horror movies out there that I love that it's hard to name. I mean... So would you name your character Brody? You named your character Brody? I named my dog Brody after the character, yes. Wow. (laughs) Okay, I did not... I just want the listeners to know that I did not know that before she said it. That's just how well I know the movie that I would happen to pick that sheriff's name right off the top of my head. That is amazing. Okay. Good job. Good job. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean... The last, um, there's been like this horror resurgence. So I've come up with so many more favorite horror movies in the last five or six years that it would take all day for me to even make like a top 10 list. Okay. Uh, I have to admit that I used to read a lot of Stephen King when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Now I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 47. So in 1980s. Um, you know, I read a lot of, of his books, but I, I, I don't think he's written a good book in a long, long time. In fact, probably the last good book that he wrote, and I'm going to ask you about this, the last good book that he wrote that I, I think was excellent was It. And I'm going to ask you, have you seen the new movie, being that you're a horror fan? Yes. It made me so happy. It was amazing. Was it? Ah, uh, I left it having, like happy nostalgic feelings just because of the realism of the uh children characters you know um and i mean the you know pennywise himself i didn't love the portrayal but the movie was it was amazing because i did not like the made for tv movie at all but the uh the you know new one highly recommend seeing it in theaters it made me stupidly happy in a way that only like a really 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 good horror movie can okay i've i've not seen it i don't i have to admit i don't go to the movies very often but being that you're a horror fan i had to ask what you thought about it so and that was like probably the second movie i've seen in theaters this year okay i i don't think i've been to a movie in a theater in a theater all year i don't think think about it okay well we better go uh, yeah, be- we better be go yeah. before this becomes a movie <laughs> review program because we might just go on for hours okay <laughs> how about um how about yep. you give the listeners everywhere where they can find you twitter facebook anywhere else patreon of course everywhere okay well i have a facebook page facebook.com slash under the midnight sun patreon.com slash under the midnight sun I'm on Twitter at Murder the Sun, and Twitter's probably the best place to find me because uh, I guess it's just where I'm most active, and um, I've got some, you know, main people on there I talk to daily, and it's just, it's a really good place to, like, keep in touch with, you know, listeners and friends. 
Okay. Any last words, Ariel? Uh, I don't know. Just check my show out, I guess. And uh, constructive feedback, always appreciated. Okay. Yes. Everyone, please go to iTunes and please listen to her program and please give her some great five-star reviews. She deserves them. All right. She deserves them. Thank you, Ed. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) And Ariel, thank you for being on this special edition of Unfound. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Ariel Jane, host of Murder Under the Midnight Sun. Please check her show out and give her some nice reviews. I also want to thank her again for making Unfound's Aaron Gilbert episode possible. I think the most interesting part of our conversation was her assertion that a lot of the crimes, disappearances, and serial killers in Alaska can be attributed not necessarily to people who were born and raised in Alaska, but to people, mostly men, who moved there. People with crimes already under their belts, who went to Alaska to possibly disappear. Then it seems they got there and decided they wanted to kill some more. I wonder if Alaskan government officials have noticed that. Also, I happen to believe, and I asked Ariel about this, I happen to believe that Alaska's killers and unsolved crimes would be better known if the state were actually connected to the United States. Hey, we have an entire country between us. Canada. Whereas with Hawaii, it feels different. Because although it's not connected as well, there's just water between us, not land. There's a perceptional quality there that makes Hawaii and Alaska different. Or maybe it's just me. Furthermore, do we in the contiguous U.S. know Hawaii crime very well either? I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that. In any case, Ariel will continue to inform us on what's going on with crime in the last frontier of Alaska. And I hope you will tune in. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to iTunes, Podomatic, and or Stitcher and give Unfound a five-star review. Please give some nice reviews to Murder Under the Midnight Sun as well. Thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to a special episode of Unfound. Unfound.